What does Harry Kane and a First World War battlefield on the 9th of April 1917 have in common? Welcome back to Nothing But The Tooth, the Campbell Academy podcast. My name is Colin Campbell, and this will be a different type of podcast episode where we explore the question of bravery. The world we live in today is gloriously unpredictable. Last week, I was due to record two podcast episodes with two extraordinary people on the subject of atypical routes to success. That has been the main theme of the podcast to date, and exploring how people who have become successful in their own fields have taken convoluted and unusual journeys towards their success. But because of circumstances that were out with my control, we were unable to record last week and therefore found ourselves in a podcast void. So my producer Nancy and I got together and decided that we would change the tack of the podcast just in the short term until we had the opportunity to speak to someone more inspirational than either of us. One of the things we always wanted to do with the podcast was to have guests who were inspirational and unusual explain their roots and stories. And I think so far we've achieved that with some enormous success. But we also wanted to explore the questions of what goes into these people, what decisions they make, and what attributes they have to make them successful so that we could all learn something to perhaps make ourselves a little bit better. And so this week we've decided to discuss the concept of bravery based on things that have happened in the news and things that we've seen which have made us question whether bravery is perhaps a dying skill in modern society. On the 9th of April 2017, my wife's great-grandfather did something extraordinary on the battlefield of France. We're not entirely sure what that extraordinary thing was, but it was unusual enough that he was mentioned in dispatches by Field Marshal Haig, who was the overall Supreme Commander of Allied Forces at the time. We know that because there is, a, there is a certificate on the wall of my office with a photograph of Leonard Heath, um, which says that he was mentioned in dispatches on that day by Field Marshal Haig for bravery. And the certificate is signed by the Minister for War at the time, who was Winston Churchill. And so try as I might, I can't get to the bottom of exactly what that deed was that he did. But it was significant enough that almost two years later, his family received that certificate to say that he had been an extraordinarily brave individual on the battlefield. What I do understand about that is that bravery is not something that happens when you're told to do something and you're unable to make a choice to do it or not. Bravery is a choice. You don't get mentioned in dispatches because you followed your orders. You get mentioned in dispatches because what you did was over and above that which was expected of you and in all likelihood saved someone else's life in a selfless fashion. Almost certainly that's what Leonard Heath did at that time. Leonard Heath was my wife's great-grandfather, the grandfather of her dad on her maternal side. He went to war in the Air Reconnaissance Division of the RAF. And in the First World War, that basically constituted flying in a paper biplane over enemy trenches and trying to see the movements of the enemy and even take photographs. I think it's kind of hard to imagine what that must have been like for someone at that time because they were very, very easy to hit, very, very easy to shoot down and with no benefit or convenience of any of the modern technologies that we see in warfare now. I would consider that to be enormously brave in any event to do that, but that's not what he was mentioned in dispatches for, because at that time in 1917, people went to war 
because they were asked or told to go to war and rarely was it questioned. I'm not sure that would be the same now. I'm talking about that today because I've watched with interest the development of the World Cup in Qatar since it was given the opportunity to host the World Cup approximately 12 years ago and then the controversial lead-up to the World Cup now where people wanted to make statements related to conditions in Qatar or attitudes or laws or rules. This is not a podcast about whether it's right or wrong. This is a podcast about whether we're brave enough to stand up for what we believe. So maybe it's useful to explore what bravery actually is, at least what it seems like to me. I think bravery is where we stand up for what we believe in, and particularly in situations where we have a choice to do that. Nowadays it seems easy to keep our head down, stay below the parapet, and really not get involved in anything that might be uncomfortable or disturb us or upset anyone else. But I don't think that is good enough anymore. I think it's essential in the first instance that we understand what our beliefs are and that we're clear what we stand for. Clearly, I've never met Leonard Heath nor nor knew him at all, but I would really like to think that what he was doing when he was flying in a paper biplane over the enemy trenches in Europe was he thought that he was fighting to secure a future for the rest of us. I believe he was one of those guys who realised that he was prepared to give up his today for our tomorrow. I think he knew what his values were in fighting for freedom. And so if I turn my attention now to what's happened in the news this week and with the fundamental events that occurred in the Qatar World Cup, at least events that were fundamental to me, and in the distinct lack of bravery that was shown by people who I think should know better and I think should be better, I think comparisons can be drawn about what could or could not have been done. Qatar were awarded the World Cup in controversial circumstances about 12 years ago and much has been written and said about the validity of that process. It's also worth remembering that we have a systematic requirement it seems to give major sporting events to countries whose ethics we question at least from time to time. I'm thinking about the Olympics in Beijing, I'm thinking about the World Cup in Russia and the Winter Olympics in Sochi in Russia. In fact the Winter Olympics in the aftermath, was so controversial and so devastatingly dishonest that it was astonishing that Russia were able to host the World Cup. But such seems to be the way of the world. It's also worth remembering that giving major sporting events which have political consequences to countries whose morals and ethics we would question, depending upon whose morals or ethics you judge things by, doesn't seem to create any positive change whatsoever. In the aftermath of the Beijing Olympics, the Yungar Muslims were persecuted in China to a horrendous degree, even though now the camps that were built to host those persecuted Muslims were built by a company which also built the World Cup stadiums in Qatar. After Russia hosted the Sochi Winter Olympics, they invaded Crimea. After they hosted the World Cup, they invaded Ukraine. And it, it doesn't seem to make positive change to be inside the tent pissing out in these situations. It seems to be a whole lot better being outside the tent trying to piss in. And so to Qatar again. In the controversial awarding of the World Cup, questions started to be asked about how a World Cup could be facilitated in such an environment, particularly due to the heat in the middle of the summer and whether it was feasible to play football. There was also no or almost no infrastructure available for a World Cup at that time. 
It's raised enormous questions about the impact of building multiple new stadiums and infrastructures in a country to host a World Cup and the effect that might have on climate, particularly with the tonnage of carbon that was going to be expended in order to achieve that and the transport of everybody to that place. Transport to a World Cup will become more and more of a problem whoever hosts the World Cup because the effect on the climate is likely to be devastating. It's simply not good enough to try to plant a few trees when you create that much damage. But perhaps we'll come back to climate change in a few minutes. There was also the question of the perceived human rights violations that occurred both in the construction of the stadia and the infrastructure in Qatar, but also in the absence of equality for various aspects of society within Qatar society and whether that was consistent with a global celebration of sport. So just to be clear at this point, this is no comment on any of that. Um, I've never been to Qatar and I am not in any position to comment on what the human rights are like in Qatar. Um, But what I do know is that the England football team and six other European football teams decided some time ago to take a stand on equality. Gareth Southgate himself said that his footballers needed to be more than footballers, but they needed to be ambassadors for society. They needed to be ambassadors and agents for change. And many of the England footballers seemed to collect that mantle and run with it. I suppose most notably Marcus Rashford and everything he did for social change and social legacy to do with school meals. Raheem Sterling has done tons for underprivileged young men and various other members of the England football squad have done fantastic and laudable things in the name of social justice and social legacy. And so fast forward to the start of the World Cup. Um, I'm not going to be churlish enough here to suggest that Scotland deliberately didn't qualify for the World Cup to protest against human rights. I guess this would be a lot more difficult for me when I was trying to boycott Scotland games than it would to boycott games of countries who I don't usually support. But on the lead up to the World Cup in Qatar, seven European football federations collectively wrote to FIFA to explain that they would wear the One Love armband during the competition to support LGBTQ plus rights, as they've done throughout their leagues for some years now. Um, the Premier League has been really quite visual in its support of this cause and has championed LGBTQ plus rights by wearing rainbow armbands and badges on coaches' lapels and all sorts of other activities to make the game more inclusive and to rail against its misogynistic historical culture. And so now perhaps I reach the crux of these few minutes of words and thoughts. It's one thing to say you are what you are, but it is quite another to be that thing. It's one thing to portray yourself as a saviour or a helper or a contributor, but it is another thing to do that when people are and are not looking. And so Gareth Southgate's England team was to be the team of the new young professional footballer who transcended sport and used their wealth and their status to improve the world and make it better. God knows they have enough wealth and status to be able to do that. But the question is, could they spend their fame wisely? And so it was with little surprise that three hours before the first England game, which was the first game of the seven European countries in the World Cup who had pledged to wear the One Love armband, that FIFA, the world governing body who had awarded the World Cup to Qatar in the first place, decided to ban the One Love armband. FIFA's concession was that they would bring forward the use of an armband which was not to be used until the quarterfinals, 
which was anti-discrimination. But this was entirely different to the one love armband that was to be worn by the seven European captains. On that Monday, when the European teams began to play, England would play at 1pm in the afternoon and Wales would play later in the day. It was an opportunity for Harry Kane of England to walk out with the one love armband on to make a statement as to what the team and the Football Association and perhaps the fans believed. It had been requested that that would happen and the permission had been requested by FIFA months before, but no reply had been given. Following on from that, the same day, Gareth Bale for Wales would be able to walk out with the same armband on, followed by Germany the following day and Holland, and the seven European countries would be able to quietly make their feelings on their beliefs known to a wider world through the visual action of the captain's armband. FIFA decided to put a stop to this three hours before the kickoff of the first game um, because this was seen to be insulting to the culture of Qatar and the organisation committee had requested to FIFA that this would not be allowed. And so we reach a point of conflict and a crossroads. Do we give up on our beliefs and our values, on our pre-planned demonstration of how we are together as a society, or do we face the punishment? So that's an interesting question, isn't it? I wonder how Leonard would have answered that question. I wonder when Leonard realised, as he was climbing into his little paper plane to fly above the trenches of the enemy, whether he might have thought it would have been better if he didn't. I wonder whether he thought the consequences of flying in that plane were too great for the sacrifice that he might have to make. I wonder when he was about to perform the action for which he was mentioned in dispatches by Field Marshal Haig, if he stopped for a minute and thought, no, it would probably be easier if I didn't. And so when I first heard the news on that Monday, to me it seemed that it was a moment in history. It seemed to me that all we had done and all we had worked for had led to this point and we had created a point where we were able to stand fast for our beliefs to show the world exactly what it meant. It was a chance to come out of the shadows and it was a chance to show that we were who we said we were, not just when no one was looking, but when everyone was looking. And to be clear, the punishment for Harry Kane, if he had walked out onto that field with a one-love armband, was a yellow card. Perhaps somewhat smaller a punishment than that which Leonard would have received had he come unstuck in his aeroplane. But the seven European nations got together on that Monday and decided that they would not risk sporting consequences to their captains for their demonstration of their beliefs. And therefore, they would do what they were told and succumb to what FIFA said they had to do. There is an alternative reality to this, something else which could have happened, where activists work for years and years to create a moment which changes the world. In Malcolm Gladwell's extraordinary book, David and Goliath, there is a description of the photograph which was captured in Alabama during a civil rights protest where apparently an Alsatian dog held by a police officer with a tense lead was about to attack a young teenage boy of colour during the demonstration. In that photograph, the dog's teeth are bared, saliva dripping from his jaws, the policeman straining to hold the dog back, and the boy recoiling. It was photographed by an Associated Press photographer and went round the country to every syndicated newspaper in America. It's attributed to being one of the greatest moments to change the civil rights and beliefs in the United States as ordinary, normal, silent majority people saw that photograph and realised that enough was enough. The backstory of that photograph is actually entirely different. 
but the effect of the photograph was staggering. I believe that last Monday we had an opportunity to create a similar photograph. If Harry Kane had walked out with his One Love armband on and the referee had come to him to book him, he only had to take the knee and accept his booking. He wouldn't have been banned or stopped playing for that booking, but the world's press would have photographed that and it would have travelled the world time and time again. The exposure for what the England team believed in would have been extraordinary. And incidentally, I also believe it would have massively, massively galvanated the team. It would have been hard to see how the team would not have been more together after that, after the unfair booking of their captain, than less together. If Harry Kane had walked out again in the second half, he would have been unlikely to be booked again for the same offence. But if he was, he would have been sent off, and then the dominoes would have started to fall. Absolutely unquestionably, I think Gareth Bale would have walked out later on that day with an armband on, and then perhaps been sent off too. And then Virgil van Dijk of Holland, and so on and so on. England could have passed the armband to different players, and watched them being sent off, and then the tournament would start to unravel and collapse. Crisis meetings would be held, and people would have to understand that what we value as free speech is more valuable than a football tournament or a yellow card. What we did and said was nothing. And what we did was we said that we would protest in our own way or make our voice heard in another way, but in no way would we accept punishment from on the sporting field for doing the things that we felt were right. The following day, the German team made a protest during the team photograph where they held their hands over their mouths as if they'd been gagged. And so, yet again, in a major tournament, England were beaten by Germany on penalties. And so why is any of this of any importance? Well, to me, and from my little seat, it feels like we've lost the ability to be brave in the pursuit of fame and riches. Harry Kane didn't wear the armband because that could have influenced England's possibility of winning the World Cup in some small way. I actually think it wouldn't, but it possibly could. And so he wore the FIFA armband. And in the discussions about whether he should or whether he shouldn't in the three hours leading up to that, people suggested that Harry Kane had waited his whole life for this World Cup. I would completely agree with that, but I think he'd actually waited his whole life for that moment to be able to make an extraordinary difference. For many of us, that moment never comes along. And for most of us, for whom it does, it comes along. But for one second, and we have a chance to go left or to go right. Harry Kane has enough money and enough fame. He had the opportunity to create a legacy that no one would ever have forgotten. But perhaps that seemed a step too far. If, though, we continue down this track where people cannot be brave enough for fear that it risks further accomplishment, then we will never be able to step up against the most important challenges that lie before us. At the same time as the lead up to the World Cup was discussing things such as LGBTQ plus armbands and beer at stadiums, there was another world event going on called COP27. COP27 didn't get much media coverage because the World Cup was in play, but 20 years from now, the things that were discussed at the climate conference will seem a lot more important than whether England beat Iran or not. What we need in the face of devastating challenges like poverty and climate change and the discrepancy between the rich and the poor and the toxic effect of social media on our children and the lack of leadership in society is bravery. We need people who are what they say they are when people are looking and when people are not. And so for all of us, it might be useful to revisit what bravery is and to remember people like Leonard Heath, who did a tiny little thing 
which all added up to a great thing, which gave us the ability to make such terrible choices further down the line. In the end, anything that we do is a tiny drop in the ocean. But, of course, the ocean is only just a collection of drops. Thank you very much if you managed to get through that. Um, what we plan to do going forwards is to continue to interview people who have extraordinary stories of atypical routes to success. And we have some amazing people lined up um, for the next few months. But I think what Nancy and I will try to do is to record something along these lines in between those, just to tell the story of what we think and what we believe and try to give people some inspiration into the attributes and the character traits that these guys that we are talking to seem to have um, in order to make them stand out from the crowd. Thanks for your time and see you next time.